Well, there is a, an old humorous skit, a comedy. Perhaps you've seen it at some point, even in black and white. I believe it goes back pre-color television days. An old skit that uh, is about a guy who's having a conversation with his friend, another guy. And, and they're sitting there and they're talking. And in the skit, the lead character, the man, is talking and talking and he just keeps on going on and on to his silent friend talking about himself the whole time. Just on and on and on about himself. And then in the skit, there's this moment where he, he snaps out of it. He suddenly has this moment of, of self-realization. And he apologizes to his friend. He's like aware of what hap- what's going on. He turns to his friend and he says, Well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? And it demonstrates for us exactly how blind we can be to our own self-centeredness, our own self-centered pride that can just kind of be with us wherever we go and we just don't even see it anymore. What do you think about me? Let's talk about you for a while. It comes out almost silly like that. And if you have ever spent some time thinking about pride and humility in your life, you know, I know this from experience, man, humility as a characteristic in my life, does not come easily. It doesn't come easily to any of us. Humility is one of those things that just does not come natural. Even our attempts to be a humble person can get sabotaged by our pride. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? It just gets sabotaged and we don't even realize it. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. He says, There's no fault... Uh, There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. It's also been said, I don't know if this is Lewis or not, some people say it is, that uh, that pride is like having bad breath. Everybody knows you have it except yourself kind of thing. So we know this, if you've read any of, of Scripture, even, even to sing the songs that we sing this morning, you know like there's, there's something right about a humble posture in this life. There's, God wants, God calls us to that. He, he demonstrates that in Christ. We, we know this stuff, but honestly, at the end of the day, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty stuck when it comes to just being humble. It's very, very difficult for us, almost impossible, we might say. And so, thankfully, we have his word helping us, and we have his spirit in us. We have his spirit here with us now today. And so, we're get, so that's, the, that's the topic, that's what we're going to look at today is, is humility, the value of humility, the call of humility, and specifically being humble, not on a remote island by yourself somewhere, because <laughs> who knows if you're humble there, being humble in our relationships, The call is learning humility in our relationships. A characteristic of God's people is that we're humble in our dealings with everybody. So Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going. Philippians chapter 2. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there now. Or if if you want a Bible this morning, don't have a Bible with you, you can raise your hand and an usher will get one to you. And if you don't have a Bible period at home, you can just take that home with you as well. But Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, the text I'm going to preach from is 5 through 11 today, but we're going to actually back up to verse 3 because that's going to give you a little bit of a sense of the flow of thought for the Apostle Paul who, who wrote this. 
So we're going to back up to three, even though I'm, I'm really going to focus on five through 11 this morning. But Philippians 2, 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's the setup. He's now we're going to move into our text. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Two main questions we're going to ask of the text today. Just two main questions, very simple questions. One, how does one become more humble? How do we actually even do it? And two, why should one become more humble? What's the motive? So two questions. How does one become more humble and why should one become more humble? And before we jump totally into that, let's just step back and define humility for a second. Just give it a definition, because your definition might be different than mine. And again, back to our skit, that man's definition is different than the other guy's. A definition of humility can be a little tricky to nail down, because while we can do humble things, like we can do humility or whatever in some way, we can actually do humility without being humble. Like, our our disposition might still not be very humble at all. Uh, And the definition I like the most, because it always convicts me and gets right to the matter, it comes again from C.S. Lewis. This isn't word for word from him, but this is the idea for a definition here this morning. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of true humility is not thinking more of myself, that is highly of myself. It's not thinking less of myself, lowly of myself. It's just thinking of myself less. So humility, it's not thinking high of myself. It's not thinking low of myself. It's just, I don't really think about myself. It's a good definition, and it it cuts to my heart because I'm always thinking about myself. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am not anywhere near a humble person. And so we're going to run with that definition until I ever come across a better one. I feel like that, that grabs the essence of, of what a humble, what humility looks like. So again, our question, how do we live genuinely humble lives? If it's very difficult to do, how do we do it? Here it is. I wish it was more profound than this, but this is right from the text. Look at Jesus and never stop looking at Jesus. Look at Jesus and never stop looking at Jesus. Let's read it in verse 5 there. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. 
have this mind among yourselves, this command. It carries, it carries a force that this is something that is true of all time. It's true right now in this moment, and it's true in 10 minutes, and it's true tomorrow, and it's true in 50, 60, 70 years. Have this mind. It's a command that never goes away. Have this mindset, or your translation might say have this attitude. Have this attitude among you. It's an inner attitude. It's an inner disposition. It's not just an action. It's an inner disposition. It's an attitude that is constant. It's a constant call for us. Uh, for the first time in my life, I, I, I was on a diet for two weeks, and I actually did it. I did a diet for two weeks. Thirteen days, to be honest. Thirteen days. I dieted for thirteen days. I'd never done like an actual diet and stuck with it. I dieted for like a few hours here and there, but I've never actually stuck to it. So I know two weeks doesn't seem like much. If you've been doing awesome with one or have done that a lot, you're kind of like, okay, well, who cares, Levi? But for me, it felt amazing. It felt like two years. It was so difficult. By day three, I thought I had lost 50 pounds or something, and I was just shriveling up or something like that, and I get on the scale, and it's three pounds, and I was just so sad. I just, like, by day three, I'm kind of, like, lethargic and sad, and all I can, I just, I'm thinking about cookies and ice cream, and I'm like, like, my attitude actually would, it changed in these three days where I'm trying to, like, just eat better. And I realized after a few days, like, I've got to stop thinking about food. I've got to start thinking about food differently if I'm going to make it two weeks here. <laughs> this is not going to work at all. And it became like an attitude shift. Like, I just have to actually, I have to think differently about food. I have to stop thinking about ice cream at night. It's got to, I got to recast my vision of what reality is. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a whole different way of thinking. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Take on a whole new mindset that's different than what comes natural for you. And that mindset, by the way, that's why we read verse 3 and 4. It is, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or conceit, but consider the other person more important than yourself. That's, that's the content of this mindset. That's what it is. It's an attitude. It's a characteristic of God's people regarding our relationships with everybody. Paul then, he goes on to explain how we're to have this mind, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Paul takes it from this description of humility, and now he takes us to Jesus. He, he kind of says, okay, there it is. Now let me give you an example. Let me give you someone to look at. Keep your eyes. Keep looking at Jesus and never stop. But why do we need an example? Why is it not enough just to describe humility in this, in this text? And I think at least from my experience, is that humility is just very elusive. It's sneaky. It's like grabbing water. You got it for a second, and then it's gone as soon as you think you, you had it. An example, it, it keeps you on the right track. You can, you can look at an example. You can keep coming back, and you can look at Jesus. If you pursue humility like a thing to be attained, like a, a thing that you've, you've gotten somehow... Well, you'll never get it. You can never turn to someone and say, I'm finally humble. Like, praise the Lord. I'm finally a humble person, you know. I, I finally defeated pride in my life. I'm a humble man, finally. 
It just doesn't happen because as soon as you say something like that, all you've done is revealed that you're, more, you're so proud you don't even realize it anymore. It's the bad breath and everyone else knows it kind of thing. You can't, that's not how it works with humility. Because pride, it's like the, it's like the cockroach of sin. You ever try to kill a cockroach? We don't have a lot of cockroaches here in Minnesota. But you go down a little bit further south. And they're terrible down there. And you step on them. And I've done this. You step on a cockroach and you think. Like, I'm sure that thing, there was a crunch. I, I, there was a crunching sound when I killed that thing. <clears throat> and you lift your foot to see your prize. You're, you're, you've defeated this cockroach. And, but, and it's gone. You lift your foot and the thing just takes off. Like faster than, faster than before. Almost like it got stronger underneath your foot. And they laugh at you when they run away. It's... They just don't die. This is, this is pride. You, you, you step on it. You, you think you've nailed it. You think you've got it. You think you've gone through an experience. I'm finally humble. You lift your foot and, and, and off it runs. Please silence your phones. That was all set up. That was great. <clears> okay. <throat> Um, I'm the one who puts that slide up there, by the way, every week. <laughs> Please silence your phones. Thank you. <laughs> but that is what pride is like. You can do humble things, and, I, and we should do humble things. Don't hear me like, there, there are opportunities for us to like, just be humble, just kind of embrace a, a servant role of some sort, that kind of thing. But you can do all of that, and still like, part of your heart is really proud of yourself right now. And you've kind of risen above the other people around you, and you, you, you feel it. It's silent, it's internal, but it's there. Genuine humility, I think what Paul is pointing to by pointing to Jesus here, it's cultivated. It's cultivated in a heart that is continually looking at, and I would say worshiping, Jesus. It's continually looking at and worshiping Jesus. It grows. It grows kind of in a hidden way in people who are fascinated by Jesus, just fascinated with him and keep coming back and looking at him some more. And in the text, what we're going to see as we look at Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus in these verses is first and foremost a giver. Jesus is a giver. Three things that Jesus gives in these two verses here. One, Jesus gave up his rights as God. Two, Jesus gave himself as a servant. And three, Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. So three things, three things that Jesus gives. But first and foremost, Jesus is a giver. So let's look at verse six. It says that he was in the form of God but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the form of God. It's a funny way of saying it. Your version of the Bible might not say form. It might say something else. And it's because the word form doesn't have like a perfect English word. So they kind of try to figure it out. Translators try to figure it out. But what it is, that word form, track with me for a second here, it's the essential qualities that, that make a a person who a person is, or, or a thing what a thing is. It's the essential qualities that basically make a thing what it is. And so in this text, NIV does a nice job with it, actually, I think, um, by saying that it is, uh, by translating it this way, saying Jesus 
being in nature, in very nature, God. Having all, all the essential qualities of who God is was in Jesus. That just means Jesus was preexistent. He, he, was, he was alive and well before he came to this earth. He is he's eternal with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. He's not, he's not something other than God. He is God, Paul is saying. Colossians 1.16, it's an old hymn that the early church would sing, and it, sa- it says this in verse 16. It says that, speaking of Jesus, he created all things in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible. Who created this world? Who created these stars? Who created what we see? Jesus did. So don't miss that. He was in the form of God. He being in very nature God gave it up. He gave up those rights. It makes our rights seem a little petty at times, perhaps, in our relationships, doesn't it? We feel rights. We feel like, I have these rights. And here, Jesus, our model, gave up rights that we can't even fathom and we can't even comprehend. <clears throat> so he gave up those rights. He gave up his, his, this, his, his deity. He did not grasp for it. He did not, he did not seize upon it for his own purposes. He didn't, he didn't when he was combating um, his enemies at times, he didn't, he didn't just like, fine, I'm God, people. Respect me. He never, he never grabbed, he never seized upon his deity in order to control a situation all of a sudden. He gave that up. He just let that be. A right that was his, he freely gave up. And then, continuing on to verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So first, he gives up his rights as God. Second, he gave himself as a servant. When it says that he emptied himself, that's another one of those funny phrases, and a lot of ink has been spilled trying to... Let's, what was the content of what Jesus emptied himself of? <laughs> and kind of kind of trying to figure that out, and we are not going to get into that whole debate. We'd be here for three hours, and we'd be more confused by the end. But there's a lot of talk that happens, that has happened, about what Jesus emptied himself of. But here's the thing. Paul didn't need to explain it in this text. He didn't have to stop and say, let me footnote, emptied himself for you, Colossians, or Philippians. In order to make his point, he just says this, he emptied himself by becoming a servant. In other words, he poured himself out as a servant pours himself out. Servants serve. Servants give. Servants don't demand their own rights. Servants don't spend their whole time thinking about themselves, do they? They give. That's their occupation is to serve, to look for what someone needs and then meet that need. And they don't live as people with great rights. They're under somebody else. A servant is under someone else's authority. That's, that's the, the real the real push of this metaphor, this text. He emptied himself by becoming a servant. Bonhoeffer, when he would describe Christ, would describe Christ this way. He would say, he is the man who exists for the other. Bonhoeffer would say that he's Jesus, the man who exists for the other. 
And he's kind of, this is, this is the idea here. So don't miss it. This, he's our example. And we're looking at him. We're watching him. We see that he gives up his rights. We see that he gives himself as a servant. And thirdly, we see that he gave up his life as a sacrifice. He's the giver. He gives up his life as a sacrifice. Verse 8. Moving along here. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. That is, he took the lowest place. He took the absolute lowest place in this earth that he possibly could find. You know, we hear the gospel story a lot. Dana mentioned it this morning in, um, uh, uh, as we were singing. This, this gospel story, many of us hear it, have heard it a lot. Some of us are just learning it more and more now. But this gospel story, this good news that Jesus would come to this earth, take our sins upon himself, die a punishment that, that was ours to, to, to take for ourselves, took that for himself, was resurrected, by the Father, so that those who believe in Him can now find forgiveness in Him, new life in Him, are, are given righteousness that wasn't ours, but given to us, that is actually Christ. We have this promise of a resurrected life, this new creation. This is the gospel story. And it's familiar if you're if, with us. Hopefully every week we're, we're, uh, we're talking about the gospel story in some way or another. But here's the thing. Don't let your familiarity with the story get in the way of how profound it is that Jesus took the lowest place he possibly could in this earth. As an obedient servant, he gave himself up to death. And it would have been humbling enough if Jesus had lived a full life, died in his late 80s with loved ones around him, singing and comforting him and caring for him as he peacefully passes That would have been humbling, because death itself is humbling, and it's crazy to think that the God of the universe would even die, period. doesn't matter how he dies. He didn't even die that way. There was nothing noble about his death. It was a spectacle to be enjoyed by the people. It It was a spectacle. It was a political statement. His death was dehumanizing. It was unjust. And it was personal. He was betrayed by a friend. Like, he, this, his friend was a part of how he ended up in this situation. Betrayed, beaten, publicly beaten, stripped, naked, pinned up on a cross, hoisted up so that people who were walking by can see him. It's entertainment. It's something people can come out and look at and, and gawk at. His own mother had to be there to, to witness all of this. The cross, it wasn't about killing someone. It was about shaming them in the most extreme way possible and anybody associated with them. That's what the cross was about. And then God himself pours out his wrath on his son. Invisible. We don't see it. We can't see that part.
I don't know what it's like for God to pour out his wrath. I have no idea. None. But he did it to his son because of our sin. Poured out his wrath on the son and then forsakes him in the end. Jesus died. Jesus went to the lowest possible place we can imagine. He gave up everything. Everything. All these rights. Took on the form of a servant. Gives up his life in the most brutal way possible as a sacrifice. Man, our false humility gets exposed when we look at this. It, it just does. Our little, our little veiled attempts to kind of be a little humble on the side here, it kind of get, it, it really pales in comparison and it starts to reveal like our own hearts and our own kind of the way we trick ourselves into feeling like I'm a real humble person. It, it doesn't look very awesome next to Jesus. He's our example. And so we, 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 we view our lives in light of his life. But you know what? We see something else here, kind of incidentally along the way. You just see how much Jesus loves us, how much he loves his people, how much he loves his church, how much he loves this world that he created. He loves you more than you'll ever be able to comprehend, more than you'll ever fully know, more than I will ever fully know. What we just read about what Jesus has done is because he loves you. He determined to rescue you. He just did. And that means you are far more valuable than you ever will realize. You're so much more valuable than you'll ever really know. You have nothing to prove to anyone. Nothing. Because Jesus has proven everything already. Your value is already set. Look what Jesus did for you. You, can't, you, you don't have to prove anything to anybody your whole life anymore. Not in terms of your ultimate value. Not in terms of who you are. It has been proven in Christ. And I think maybe one of the reasons we struggle with being humble people is we just don't really believe that. I must help somehow. I must be a little easier for God to love than this guy over here. <laughs> like, I'm not one of the tough ones to love. I'm an easier one to love. We, 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 we think that somewhere, somehow, in some way, we contribute something to God's love for us and it's just, that's just not true. You are just loved. He cannot love you more and he'll never love you less. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you're going to do. doesn't matter what you haven't done. It just doesn't matter. It's unchanging. As that presses in deeper into our lives, you know what I think happens? I just think we become people that aren't trying to prove ourselves all the time aren't trying to get ahead of the person next to each other. Don't have to win every single argument we find ourselves in. There's this value that is unchanging. And so you just view these things differently. You view your life differently. So, I, so we've got to read these verses over and over. We've got to read of Jesus over and over. We've got we to we ask God to help this sink in deeper because some part of me doesn't, I don't get it. How can you love me so much? But he does.
So there's the how. How do we grow in humility? I think we just keep looking at Jesus and looking and looking and worshiping and coming back and looking some more and talking with him. You just can't run off different directions. It's Jesus. Second question we're trying to answer here this morning is, is the why question, right? So there's the how. Why? Why should one want to be more humble? In some ways, you look at these verses of Jesus and it's kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound very awesome. <laughs> like, why do I want to do this? Other than, okay, God said so, so there's the guilt factor. But is there anything beyond that? Like, should, why should I want to be a humble person? And I think it's a real question we have. It's one of the reasons we don't care a ton about being very humble. Is <laughs> Why? What do you get out of it? Well, here's what you get. I'm going to come go to John Piper a little bit here. You, you do it for the rewards. <laughs> you do it for the rewards. Piper says the motto of Christian hedonism uh, is this. Giving up is inevitably receiving. Give up your pride and you'll get so much more in return. There's, re- there's rewards that we live for here in this life. And, and, and giving up our pride and be, being humble, that's just all over Scripture in terms of the rewards. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. Man, we could just stop there and think about that for a while. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a promise. Proverbs fifteen twenty five: the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. He takes care of that humble widow. He's going to defend those boundary stones. He's, that's, that's, he's going to defend that widow. The proud, your house is coming down. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. So if you're in that Desiring God class that I think Pastor Thomas is uh, teaching, it's all about this stuff. Pursuing joy pursuing rewards in this life, seeing it all over in the Bible. It's, good. it's a good thing. God sets up rewards for his people. Go after it. There's rewards. Let's look at the verses here, 9 through 11. You'll see it. It's, just, it's right there in the text. It says, Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in those prior verses, Jesus is giving, Jesus is giving, he's giving, he's giving himself. And now in these verses, God gives. The Father gives to Jesus honor and glory. What Jesus did not go and grab for himself, God just ends up giving him anyway. And that's how humility works. That's, that's, that, you don't have to grab in this life for your honor and your recognition. God, you be humble and God will take care of the rest. You walk closely with Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You let him be your model, your, your guide. He will take care of the rest. doesn't mean you won't have conflict in this life. It doesn't mean you won't that your life won't be hard in some ways, but you can, you can trust that he will take care of the rest. 
He loves humility. He gives grace to the humble. He will reward you. And I think there's some rewards that are given in this lifetime. Your happiness here on this earth, I think very, very much depends on your willingness to, to live humbly in this life. Humble people are generally happy people, and it's like unflinchingly happy. Like, I'm just going to be happy. <laughs> pride, pride makes you angry. You're always irritable. You're always ready to fight. You're always ready to make sure you win an argument to the end. And you're almost looking for them half the time. Pride is, you're just, it's, you're, we're consumed with ourselves. And the ironic thing about like trying to, of being so consumed with yourself is that you are less happy in this life. Your humility, your willingness to just kind of give it up and give up the fighting for yourself all the time is, has, sorry, carries rewards of happiness. You're just trusting the Lord. But here's, there's rewards to come in the future as well. There's rewards in our future. Hebrews eleven six says this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Matthew 6.20 But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I don't know the... I don't know what those rewards are exactly in this new creation. I don't know what God has in store for us. But I know this. Every sacrifice of my pride is going to be well worth it. It's not even going to be close. I get what for sacrificing my pride? Are you serious? I don't know what it's all going to be like. I don't know how it all works out. But I know that God promises rewards in the life to come. And you will not ever look back at anything and say, I, I didn't have to hardly sacrifice a thing compared to what I got. That's what Hudson Taylor said at the end of his life. Um, you know, Hudson Taylor was the, um, the missionary to China, spent years in China, a hard life, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of giving, a lot of serving, a lot of hard days. He said this at the end of his life, reflecting back on it. He said, I never made a sacrifice. Unspeakable joy all day long and every day was my happy experience. God, even my God, was a living, bright reality. And all I had to do was joyful service. I don't think he's making that up. I don't think he's making that up. I think that comes from his heart. I've never made a sacrifice. So there's rewards. Run after them. Know that, that it's not just, you're not just uh, sacrificing for, for nothing. There, there, God will reward you. He will take care of you. Um, and I think you'll find joy, a, a deeper, a more unshakable joy in your heart as we, as we follow Christ's example here. So that's the mindset we've been called to. There's the, there's the motive for us to, to run after Jesus in this way. And I just want to say a couple things about like how do we work this out? How do we gauge maybe our own humility? How do we gauge our pride? How do we, how do we, how do we see it? Where should we work that out first and foremost? And I would just say, start with your home. Like, start home first. If you're married, start in your marriage. If you have kids, start with your kids. If, you're a, if you have siblings, start with your brothers. and Like, start in the home. And the reason I say that is because 
you can't perform very much in, in the home. Like, it all comes out eventually at home. As soon as you open up the front door and head out, you can kind of turn on a little bit of a performance, can't you? You can, you can sort of, like, rally and, and kind of pound through the day and try to be humble. At home, it's tough. So start there. Do your assessments of yourself there. You know, in our marriages, a lot of times, we, the, the fights that happen, well, you know, you argue. You're married. You're going to argue for sure. But, but a lot of the fights are really, man, just think about how much of it is just born out of pride. It's all, it really almost comes down to very much, this is a pride situation here. Proverbs 13.10 talks about, or says this, says, where there is strife, I love how simple this is, where there is strife, there is pride. Where there is fighting and arguing and bickering and going back and forth and whatever. Might not be the only issue, but where there is strife, there is pride. So that's something to kind of bring into an awareness in our marriage of just, in our marriages of just saying, okay, I want to be a humble husband. I want to be a humble wife. I want to live this out right here. This is, this is my primary place to live this out. If I can't do it here, then I'm not going to worry about, I mean, we, everywhere, obviously, still. But, like, let's just start there. Or start with the people that are closest to you. If you're not, if you're not married, start with who, who are the closest people to you? Who are your closest friends? Who are your closest family? Who are those people that are, like, know you the best? Seek to live humbly there. Let that be the place where you do your self-assessment. <clears throat> and also, with a verse like this, just so you know, you cannot take a text like this and weaponize it for your own happiness. You know what I mean? Like, you can't shove, you can't write this little in a note card and put it on your wife's pillow at night about being humble and expect that to go very well. You cannot weaponize the Bible. I mean, you can. We try. We do it. But it doesn't work. It backfires on you every time. That's not how it's written. That's not how it's supposed to be taken. It's not to be shoved in someone else's face. Not that it's not true. And not that that person doesn't need to hear it. <laughs> it's not that. But it's first and foremost, take this here. Get, get your nose in here. Get on your knees. Do some, do some real work with the Lord for yourself. chances are what's going to happen is the people around you are going to see that and that's going to start to have this effect on those around you. But you cannot force, if you can't force your own humility, do you think you can force the next person next to you to be humble? You just can't. So just do it right here. Go for it right here. Trust, that the, trust the rewards that are coming. Seek God for it. And, and let him work out the, the, this stuff with the people around you. So in every relationship, there's just chances for us to, to follow Jesus' example, whatever it is. So if you're a student, if you're a teenager living at home, you've got all kinds of opportunities. Adults, we have all these opportunities at work, at, um, uh, here in our church, uh, just anywhere you are. Any, any gathering that you have, any relationships you have, you have all the opportunity in the world to follow Jesus' footsteps and learn Learn to find happiness in humility. You know, as a church, our church, other churches, as a church, we are called to be a light in a dark world. 
That's, that's, that's who we are. We're not in and of ourselves light, but God in us. We're called to be a light in a dark world. We bear the image of God brightly for those around us to see. It's for his glory. And I think what the incarnation teaches us, th- these verses about Jesus coming the way he came, you think he, because he didn't come displaying his infinite power, he didn't come just displaying his, holy, his infinite holiness or wisdom or these kinds of things, what he put on display was his humility. And what I think that means for us is that we shine brightest in our humble attitudes toward each other. I, th- I think that's, what, that's how we shine brightly, is in the humble way we treat the people around us. That's not what I see, generally speaking, on Facebook. <laughs> it's not generally what I see uh, in terms of, of how things kind of flesh themselves out Monday to, Monday to Saturday. It doesn't come natural. So, so it's really a work that Jesus has to do in us. His, he shines brightly. Jesus shines brightly in our humble disposition, our humble attitudes toward one another. Let him, let him shine in that way. That's how he came, so that's how we live. Yeah. If you've been with us, you know that we've been talking. There's moves. There's a move happening here at Christ Redeemer Church. There are things happening. There's a future ch- church plant coming up down the road. Uh, there's a new location. Um, all kinds of things. Um, more people showing up on Sunday mornings. Good things, exciting things for sure. Um, and we'll go in and out of seasons like that as a church. We just will. And we don't know all that God has for us. Um, and, but with that comes a lot of decisions, a lot of, a lot of thinking, a lot of meetings, a lot of talk, a lot of things that happen. And my, my prayer, like for myself, for us as a church, is that what will shine brightly in all of this is a very humble attitude toward all the people around us as we transition, as we make changes, as we shift things. Like, it doesn't mean we don't talk or even disagree about things, but a humble disposition of Christ-like kind of humility that's considering the other person, always considering the other person, not just yourself. So whatever it looks like, wherever God leads us, I don't care if we worship in a gym or a beautiful auditorium or the moon, it doesn't matter. May God shine brightly in our humble dealings with each other. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you are the, uh, the ultimate example of our humility. We see in Christ a, a humble God. Um, it makes our pride seem silly. It, makes our, it exposes just, just how, um, how much we really needed saving, how much we, we continue to need to be saved and rescued from our uh, just our sinful tendencies, our sinful ways. God, we, we are so thankful that you don't give up on us. We're so thankful that you have pronounced amazing value on us infinite value on us, God, by sending your Son as a sacrifice. I pray, Jesus, that we as a people, as your people, Lord, would know deeply, just how deeply we are loved, 
how, how thoroughly we are loved, God. For all of our, even, even with all of our ugly spots, Jesus, even with our imperfections, you love us. I pray that that would go deeper, God. I, I want it to go deeper in my own life, my own heart. I, want it, I need to know that better. I pray for all of us, Jesus, that we would know that better. We would know that more. I pray that you would you'd help us, God, where, where maybe even in this message, there's been mo- the things that people have thought about of how their pride is just making, a, making things so difficult in their lives. I pray, Jesus, that today that it would, there would just be, by your Spirit, uh, a gracious change. And um, we would look to you again as our model, our example and cry out to you, and follow you, and be okay with whatever that looks like in terms of humbling ourselves. We want you to be glorified, God. We want you to be lifted up. We want you to shine brightly, Jesus, and we, we can get off track a lot of times in what that looks like. So um, I do just pray, we pray together, God, that you would shine brightly uh, in, our, in our attitude toward people, the people that we are in relationships with, You'd shine brightly, Jesus, in our mindset, in our attitude, God. And we thank you that there's reward for us. We thank you, God, that there's a joy and a happiness and a delight, God, that we can have in this life. There's things coming in the future. This next new creation life, God, that we can't even imagine, Lord, would you give us faith to run after those things? And uh, we just trust that you hear us and you hear our prayers. And in Jesus' name, amen.